I did want to mention, too, that I received some information from Coffee Oasis. As you know, we were involved in a family Christmas project in which we had a Christmas tree out here that had little tags, and we as a church contributed uh, to help them out. Uh, when tags were uh, picked up and uh, checks were given to our congregation, uh, they were delivered down to Coffee Oasis first thing in the beginning of the weeks that we have been collecting. Well, after Christmas, uh, like I mentioned, I just received uh, an email from Coffee Oasis, and they had a Christmas dinner in which there were over 172 young people that were involved in that. And through our our contributing to the gift program, there were over 220 gifts that were given to the young people this Christmas season. So I just want to say on behalf of Coffee Oasis, what a blessing it is that we have a part of our community like this. So look for more service opportunities as we are reaching out in mission and work into our, into our community. The community doesn't know, uh, but they need us. They really do. And we have an opportunity to, to share and to minister in the name of Christ. So what a blessing that that is. So before we get into the scripture this morning as read by Oma uh, in Galatians chapter 5, let's take a moment to pray. But I want us to do something a little different than we pray. Pray. Move away from the mic because the sound transference through masks and through shields is just incredibly challenging. So I'm um, I'm tethered to the uh, pulpit, and so that's like putting a muzzle on a dog and say don't bark, right? <laughs> so anyway, it's going to take a little discipline on my part. But what I want us to do a little different today is when we pray, okay? Usually, you know, we either stand or we'll sit and we'll bow our head and we'll close our eyes. But I want us to open our hands. And I want us to put our palms up. And there's no some mystical thing that we're doing, some Eastern mysticism, meditation thing. But this is just an expression for us that we desire to receive a word from the Lord. And we desire to receive His love. And we desire to receive and the knowledge of His presence. And this is an expression of the fact that we want to open our hearts to Him. So, again, there's no some, you know, new age movement of something. It's just an expression of an open heart as we open our hands to God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we count it a joy today as we open our hearts. And our hands are open in expression of our worship to you. We thank you that we can gather to acknowledge your word and that you are using us in ways in our community and throughout the world to advance your gospel. So with that in mind, we pray for the lost. It's such a... How do we pray for billions of people? People that have never heard, people have never understood, or maybe people have been informed about the gospel of our Savior Jesus. And we thank you that this church in a town in Washington can reach out and financially support and pray for those that have given their lives to the service of the gospel. And we pray for our community as we uh, lift uh, those that we live with to you and ask that you would use us to care for them and to demonstrate your love and your presence. And with our hands open today, we would ask that you would minister to our hearts. You have a word for us, and by faith we know, we know by faith, you will apply these truths to our lives. So we thank you for the the holy time that we share. And Lord, with our hands, we say that we love you. 
You have shown yourself. You have revealed yourself. And you have loved us. So we love you. Thank you again in Jesus' name we pray. We can all say amen. We can't sing. We can say amen. 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 There we go. Uh, I was going to be a little facetious. Let's not. Uh, we are starting a three-week series, a mini-series, if you would, on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we'll be looking at the book of Galatians. We'll be looking about today the, the condition, the action, and the, um, the announcement today, the three points that we'll be looking at. So... The fruit of the Spirit. Now we're going to set up with the condition a little bit. We're going to talk about a little bit of theology today. And what we have to understand is so uniquely Christian, there's no other faith or other religion that can make these points, these statements, these understandings that God has given to us in the Bible. The condition is that mankind is hopelessly lost. We're bound by sin and we are helpless to do anything about it. We have a society and a world and either in, in world religions and understandings that have the concept that we're all basically good and we have to try to desire and to put forth efforts to appeal to God to find His forgiveness and His direction. But we see that salvation is so important to us. Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, uh, we'll be looking at Scripture today and that's a good thing. So Jesus is spending his last few moments in the upper room with the disciples before he was arrested and crucified when he said this. But I tell you the truth, and it's to your advantage that I go away. For I uh, do not go away. The helper will not come to you, but sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment... Because the ruler of this world has been judged. So basically, Jesus is telling us where we stand, who he is, and what's going to take place. He talks about the Holy Spirit coming to convict the world of sin. We discover in the scripture, interestingly enough, that at um, Christmas, our Christmas Eve candlelight service, we looked at this. This is so important for us to see that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and to reveal to us the importance of Jesus Christ. Now, to convict the world of sin is to recognize that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but we choose not to believe. Now, we see in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, 9 and 10, we say this. Um, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there was true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. The lostness of humanity. Jesus came and revealed himself, but the world didn't recognize who he is. And we see in 319 the very conviction of our own hearts in regard to our relationship with God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. This is the concept of humanity without knowing who Jesus Christ is. So that's why not only at Christmas time we think about this, uh, the incarnation of Christ, but it's something foremost on our minds, as we'll jump into Galatians in just a moment. So the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. 
And the righteousness that Jesus is talking about is Him going back to the Father. So this righteousness is the mission of His ministry that was accomplished. The righteousness of His presentation, His activity in the world, and the acknowledgement of His relationship with the Father. Who He is, what He did, what was accomplished specifically through the cross and the resurrection and the ascension into the Father. So the Holy Spirit will come and bring conviction to the world of sin, to bring the realization, the truthfulness, the reality of Jesus' ministry, and of judgment, the coming judgment. And he says that the enemy is already condemned. So the Holy Spirit also speaks to us as creator, or creation, humanity, that there is judgment waiting. There's something about us we are wired with that anticipation. So the condition is, mankind was helplessly lost, and Jesus is the answer to all that. And so what happens? How does this unfold? We'll be getting to Galatians in just a moment, but we have to set the stage. So we see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, we'll take a moment to read that in just a moment. Now keep in mind, Jesus Christ resurrected. He told the apostles to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. The Holy Spirit came. A presentation of God that was miraculous and powerful that is seen in the early chapters of the book of Acts. So empowering was it that Peter took his stand and told the people that were there in Jerusalem at Pentecost what had happened and what all this means. He told them that Jesus Christ came. And he tells this congregation of people, you killed him. He was the son of glory. He's the presentation of God. And you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men. Therefore, all the house of Israel, Peter says, know for certain that the Lord God had made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now the people were listening to all this. They were struck in heart. And listen to what happened. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we hear the gospel... We as people have to ask the same question. What are we going to do with this information? You made that decision. You made that question. When you received Christ, when this information came, and the knowledge was implanted in your heart, and you, re- you came to respect, and you came to receive. To repent means to turn from your way of life. To follow Jesus Christ. I believe in our culture today, we don't talk too much about repentance. Because when we say repentance, then we're admitting we've done something wrong. We don't like to say that we're wrong. We don't like to say that we have failed. We want to realize and think that we're self-sufficient. But let me tell you, let us understand today that we need God in our lives. We need to turn from our ways. We need to turn from our selfishness. We need to turn from our attitudes about our self-importance and turn toward Christ and live a life in following Him. That's where we find peace. And to be baptized. Now, baptism is not a prerequisite for salvation, 
Baptism is a recognition of giving one's heart to the Lord, a demonstration of a renewal that took place, and an identification of other believers, the body of Christ. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of God. No other religion can say this. In all the faiths in the world, that God is somewhere out there. And we have to find some way to get to Him. We'll never know Him. There is a national preacher that is recognized in our culture. He's written many books. Talked about how there's many people who love God throughout the world. There's many people of different faiths who love God. Then Jesus said, listen, if you don't know me, Christ, you don't know the Father. So the very concept of knowing and loving God without Christ is not a, a typical. No. The concept of knowing and loving God without Christ is not taught in the Scripture. The avenue to Christ, or through Christ to God, is the only avenue. Amen? Amen. We cannot give this up. In fact, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit teaches us and He guides us and He comforts us and He intercedes for us and He speaks to us. We have an investment of God in our lives. Ephesians 4.8 says this, look closely. Therefore, says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. What we see here is that Jesus won us through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And his ascension ushered in our victory and continuing work of ministry here on earth through his Holy Spirit. And the Bible said he gives gifts to men. We have been redeemed. His mission has been accomplished. He is back with the Father and He has given us the Holy Spirit who has gifted us. Three things. He's gifted us in salvation. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He has gifted us with equipping. As a believer, the Bible teaches us each one of us are equipped with a special talent or a special Enabling to accomplish kingdom work. Sadly to say, oftentimes church has been relegated to this. This is important, of course. This is what I am gifted. This is what I do. But oftentimes gifts are not being demonstrated in our church. Churches. In America, we have moved from a congregationally leadership-oriented structure to a staff and paid positions to lead congregations in terms of leadership. Now what I'm saying is this. My conviction in ministry is to equip you to do ministry, to do service, to lead out, to accomplish your giftedness that God has invested to you. In our society, though, we move from the equipping of the congregation to elevating key leadership to accomplish ministry. You all, we all have to play this. You've been gifted. And in fact, if you're not using your gifts, you're not advancing the kingdom, whether it's through the church or in the community, empowered by the Spirit, you are shorting what God can do in the kingdom of God. 
We are all responsible for what God has given to us. The Holy Spirit. We've been gifted with salvation. We've been gifted with, uh, with equipping. But we've been gifted with provision. The fruit of the Spirit. We're finally there. Huge introduction, huh? <laughs> so we've seen the condition. Condition. We have seen the action. And now we see the announcement. The Bible tells us in Galatians, again, is worth reading. But the fruit of the Spirit, the giftedness of the Spirit, the fruit of that is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians is a very interesting book of the Bible. Paul wrote this book to confront to confront the regional churches in Galatia. There was false teaching that was taking place. Paul was an apostle and called to preach the gospel that was revealed to him by Christ Jesus himself. Paul didn't need someone to teach him the gospel. Jesus Christ revealed the gospel to Paul. Paul said, Christ revealed this to me. He says, I wasn't too excited to go and see the apostles or other teachers because Jesus Christ taught me this. He was confronting the Galatian churches because they were embracing false teaching. There was an extension of Judaism that went into the church and said, yes, you can be a Christian, but you have to practice the law and the traditions. And then there was a sense, of, there was a knowledge of what was called Gnosticism, which was this mysterious, magical, secret informational structure that was very immoral, that was very liberal. And Paul says, it has snuck into your church. In fact, it was tumultuous times in these churches as these Judaizers and Gnosticism was setting foot and taking place in the congregations. Look at Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Listen to what he says. Now, we can't see this in English, but in the original Greek when this was written was very, very powerful. And in fact, here in English, this, you foolish Galatians, was toned down to be a little more tasteful in terms of its reading. But Paul is confronted. He's saying, you stupid Galatians. He says, are you kidding me? He says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now let me explain this to you, what this means. Not only is he telling them and confronting them about the ridiculousness of their false teaching at this time, but it was very clear to them what Jesus Christ did. The public public portrayal of Jesus Christ was so real in their mind's eye, they knew that when he was nailed to the cross, it was sufficient for their salvation. They needed nothing more. This Savior, he says, I clearly explain to you this, but you foolish Galatians, he goes on, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. You go back to the law. Did you receive the Spirit? Did you find salvation? Were you equipped with the presence of God in your life? By the law? Or by hearing by faith? 
And he goes on. Okay, the, uh, do it. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. So then, does he who provides you with what? Okay, there we go. Are you so okay? It looks familiar. He says, "Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You began to live in faith. Now you're accomplishing your faith and your your spiritual dynamic through your works and your things that you do." Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed that was in vain, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it with the works of the law or hearing with faith? So Paul is confronting them big time. And he's saying, listen, there's been false teaching that you've embraced. He says, have we come this far? Now, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit. It's the edible pulp that surrounds the seeds of many plants. So we think today of maybe grapes, or apples, or pomegranates, figs, olives in this particular climate. Fruit is pleasurable and it's renewing. Now we would all agree what pleasure that we receive on a hot August afternoon to find a peach in our refrigerator. We all know what it's like to bite into a peach and looking for a napkin or a paper towel. We understand how renewing and refreshing fruit is. But the results of the fruit of the Spirit is working in the life of a believer. Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The results of the Holy Spirit is the fruit, the joy, the privilege, the expression of God in our lives. The benefit. So, our, so we are led by the Spirit and we walk by faith. The fruit of the Spirit. Let me jump away from my notes for just a moment. I believe as Christians, we don't enjoy too much of the fruit of the Spirit. One, maybe we don't have the knowledge about what that means in our lives, and the resources, and the benefits of being a Christian. Two, maybe we think that the fruit of the Spirit is given to somebody that just has special stature in the presence of God. There's no qualification here. It didn't say how long a person was a Christian that they received the fruit of the Spirit. Three, I don't think that we've been really taught how to do that. We have to receive this. We have to believe it. It has to be a part of our lives. So he says, love. This is agape. It's the sacrificial, benevolent investment of a relationship. Love is the core, the central understanding of God's motivation and His commitment to us and our response to Him. It's based in love. It's how we respond to one another. What's really interesting about this word love, agape, 
is, yes, it's a sacrificial, it's a benevolent love, but it's an interesting love, too. It's an active love. It's a, it's a type of love that says, I'm going to do something to help you, whether you really desire it or not. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. We're very excited about this. But what does it say? God so loved the world He gave. Now what did we read earlier in John? Did mankind want to receive this gift? No. The Bible says darkness, the, the, the darkness hates the light. So God gave us His Son even though we didn't want Him. It's humanity. That's the kind of love that we're looking at. It's the type of love. You know, there were times in our lives let me back up. I've seen you change. I've seen a lot of people change. I've seen what God can do in people's lives and how they respond to one another. I remember seeing people through the decades of pastoring who have come to know the Lord and their lives completely changed. I've seen people that, that at one time were harsh and critical they were opinionated. They were bigoted. And then they became a Christian. Their lives changed. They became compassionate. And kind. And loving. And I looked at them and I said, Whatever happened to you? <laughs> You're not the same. I've seen it in your life. You people. You people. You people are changing. You're not the same people I met six or seven years ago. You've been committed and sacrificial. You've been patient with one another, even when you were wronged. You've been forgiving when your heart has been broken. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's love. That's love. Now, this scripture I want to read to you now is taken out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This scripture here, unfortunately, has always seemed to be um, labeled to be a wedding. A wedding scripture. But let's look at the context of, of this scripture. Paul is writing to a church that was in horrible discord. They were calling each other names. There was dissension. There was division. There was false teaching. There was pride. All of this stuff. But he called them saints. And then this chapter, First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, is called a love chapter. Listen to what he says. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You know what he's saying? If I speak eloquently, if I'm this word machine, but if I don't have love, then I'm annoying. He goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I can accomplish great spiritual, magnificent things, but if I don't have love to God, love to you 
that is really pointless. You see, love is focal. It's central. Let's go on. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I don't have love, if I give all that I have, it's pointless. Now this is great. Let this permeate our thoughts today. Love is patient. And love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. And love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And love never goes away. It will never fail. This is the message to the church. Not to a couple who are making a decision and a covenant that will last their lifetime. This is a message that I believe the church needs to hear today. The central message of this particular gift, of this particular fruit, is love. So back to Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. This is a word uh, where we get this word chara, which is related to grace. It's the gladness of heart. This joy cannot be self-generated. We can't get up in one morning and say, I'm going to be joyful today. Joy, in terms of a biblical sense, is supernatural. It's put into our lives is rooted in the right relationship with God. It's the well-being of heart and just not simply being happy. Psalm 1, 1 1-3 tells us this. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Joy is in direct proportion to the believer's walk with God. The most joyous people I've ever met in my life were the ones that had a walk with God that was not only apparent in their own heart, but in the hearts and eyes of those who observed them. So before I was a believer, there was a young man that I knew. He was a Christian. He always walked with his silly grin on his face. And I asked him, why, why, what is this, man? You never seem to be really put out about anything. 
And he says, Craig, um, it's the joy of God in my life. I can't not help the smile. And I thought, huh. Joy. Joy can be experienced even in difficulty. The Bible says it counted all joy when we face tribulations and trials. We hear in the scripture too in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Now let's talk about three quick areas where joy is expressed. Jesus. In Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 he says this. This is on the heels of um, Hebrews chapter 11 which is the uh, hall of fame of the faithful. Hebrews 12 1 and 2 says this. Look for that three little three-letter little word. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, referring back to the previous chapter, let us also run aside, uh, set us, lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us. By the way, that's disbelief. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy, he endured the cross. What is that joy based in? Well, he's going back to the Father. He's completing his mission. And who for the joy would appeal to us for our salvation. That's what drove Christ. We think about Paul and Silas when they were in Philippi and they were preaching the word and brought a sense of riot to town. They were placed in a jail and they were singing praises to God during their time of prosecution. Even in that early church suffering persecution, the apostles were arrested and all night long they were singing praises to God joyously. And they rejoiced as we discovered that they found themselves worthy of the suffering for Christ. <coughs> rejoicing is a command. <coughs> the Bible says to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. They should put a little straw. <laughs> say that because she's not in <laughs> The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Peace means untroubled, undisturbed well-being. God gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us peace. Huh. Do you ever have a really bad week? Yes. Do you ever have a really bad week? You know, um, when I wake up in the morning, I just kind of think about, you know, the Lord. Think about you. Think about Kim and I. Think about ministry. And then sometimes my mind goes back. 
the times in our lives where we thought we were going to be more or more excited, they turned out to be maybe not so. I love summer. There's no school. Three months. You just look forward to it. I was going, I think it was going into the sixth grade, the summer going into my sixth grade year of school. There was a kite that was for sale at the drugstore uh, about four or five miles away from where I lived. This kite had oh, probably about four or five foot span across, and it was kind of a triangular diamond shape. And uh, it was pretty cool. I had to have it. So I saved, I saved money for it. And so I went to the drugstore and I bought it. I bought two spools of kite twine. Because one was not enough. Because it had to get way up there. And so I bought this kite, put it together. It was made out of cloth, or no, it was more of a fabric type of material. And it had balsa wood, real light wood. And I put the cross beam together, I put it together with the strings and all that, and I put the string on there. And I walked very proudly to a field in front of where we used to live. And the wind was blowing pretty pretty good that day. And I thought, this is going to be a great day with this brand new kite. Been looking forward to this. Summertime, freedom. So I put the kite on the ground, and the wind was at my back. I laid it down, so because when I went to pull it, I knew that if it tipped up, it would catch the wind and, and climb. And so I got out of the ways, and then I took up running. And the kite climbed, and it climbed, and then all of a sudden this gust of wind came out of nowhere, and the kite was up there, and it snapped and broke in the middle and fell to the ground, and it was ruined. And I thought, oh, that was great. I saved that money, bought the string, put the kite on the ground, take off running, and now that experience lasted probably 18 seconds. Great. So I take the kite, I walk home. We had a little Cocker Spaniel mix dog, kind of moody kind of a dog. Sometimes he wasn't very welcoming. He started barking at me. It's like, what are you doing here? Kind of a bark. And it's like, you're kind, you know? You're, you know you're in bad shape when your own dog starts barking at you. You know? So I got to the house and I looked in the backyard and I thought, this has not been a good day. I'm going to go out and spend some time with our horse. Pony was his name. We should have called the dog dog and the cat cat. And I was called kid. Any man was gone. So Pony was out in the field out there, and I went up to him, and I started petting him, and he kind of leaned forward, and he stomped on my foot, <laughs> and he stood there on my foot, and I pushed him away, and he turned around, and he bit me right there, and I thought, what kind of day is this? Have you ever been bit in the chest by a horse? It was not a good experience. What I was lacking at this point in my life when I was this young was peace. So the things that were familiar and welcoming at this particular time in my life was confusing and stressful. We can see in Romans 8.28 that we're supposed to count it all joy. Or we're supposed to... Oh, 8.28. Let's look at this. Otherwise, I'm going to misquote it. Romans 8.28 tells us. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for those, for good, for those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. I needed peace in my life. How many times we find ourselves needing peace in ours? In Mark chapter 4, we get the story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus in a storm. And the storm came. They were fearful because we know the story. They were experienced sailors. They were experienced fishermen. And the, this storm was horrendous and Jesus was asleep. They realized after doing all the rowing and trying to keep the boat afloat that they weren't doing any good. So they went to Jesus and they said this question, Do you not care? Do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus stood in the midst of this storm, in the midst of our lives, their lives, and he said, Hush, be still. And the storm was quiet. Jesus gives us peace. John 14, 26 and 27 says this. Are we there, Dan? John 14? Okay. John 14. What? John, I'll just read it. John 14, 26 and 27. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. But not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And he says in verse 25 that the Holy Spirit was given to us. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. So we find peace a couple of ways. We find peace in the morning. We find peace in His Word. We need to find peacemakers in our lives. And we can find peace with previous storms. Now, we're going to close with this. We covered a lot of material, and that's okay. But we have been given this huge benefit in this life, not only being saved through the life, the love, and the blood, and the resurrection, but we've been given the gifts to be successful in people. Let's live in those. Let's know that God has placed all these things in our life for our own benefit and our joy. So what do we do with this? Love, joy, peace. Two things. We thank Him for them. <laughs> the world has nothing to offer in comparison. And then we're to live. Well, I'm about through. And it is a joy to share God's Word you. So it's like this. You know, to experience the fruit of the Spirit is that we need to receive it. We need to know that God desires to display it, to give it to us. So as we pray with our hands open, we walk through this life in the same way to receive the blessings and the joy of knowing Him.
Let's all stand for a moment. We'll close prayer.